Hello and welcome to a very special Rasslin' Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM. I'm Glenn Broggett, and with me this week, we're going OG as we pay tribute to another who has left us with a great ring in the sky. We are welcoming back to the mix pro wrestling historian George Shire. George, good to have you here. Of course, we get together. It seems like when we get together, it's usually uh, when we look back on, on, on uh, a career of a recently passed uh, legend. And this is uh, nothing, nothing different. Nothing, no, no par for the course. We, we lost a good one here this past when this past Wednesday. Yeah, the news uh, came, came uh, via social media, was actually broken by a man you're uh, familiar with uh, for a long time. Mr. McCarsh was uh, the one who uh, sent out the message here. And uh, boy, it was, uh, I had I sent you a message and I didn't know if you knew. And then we ended up getting into a conversation about, uh, about Adnan. But boy, this one, yeah. even though Adnan has lived a long life, it was still very sad to get that news. Well, and yes, you were the one that sent me the little text, and I responded, what? You know, I was uh-huh. like, I had just gotten on the computer, and I hadn't been on most of the day yesterday. Uh, you know, sometimes life gets in the way, and you got things to do. But uh, you did break it to me, and, I, and then I had immediately gotten a message from uh, Ken Resnick. Uh-huh. And uh, saw his posting on uh, his page, and you know Ken Resnick and the Sheik, um, they they had a personal relationship in that you know Ken was the announcer and Sheik was the the heel wrestler, and and they they had some good times together. Oh, for sure. And, uh, so yeah, sad news. Um, I I don't recall that Sheik had been you know any real sick or anything, but I knew he was having some health problems. Mm-hmm. He, um, you know, sadly, he lost a son here not too long back. And, uh, but yeah, just a good guy. Something when I say he was a good guy, you know, hardcore old wrestling fans, they'll say, what? The Sheik, a good guy? <laughs> well, you know, it was the gimmicks in wrestling. Uh, we, we all liked scientific wrestling, as they call it, you know, the good guys. <clears throat> but, um, the business would have been boring, if you want to be honest, if we would have had uh, no characters, and among them, the Sheik. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's kind of crazy when you think about it that um, Adnan passing away here this uh, this week as of this recording wasn't all that long ago here in, this, in the year that we had lost Khosrow Vizeri, the Iron Sheik, so... That's that's two yeah. big losses here with the, with as far as the sheet gimmick goes. Yeah, and you know I know this is moving ahead quite a bit when you mentioned Cosro Vasiri as far as um, Adnan Casey's history, but you know modern more modern day fans will will realize that it was in the early '90s when uh, Cosro Vasiri as the Iron Sheik from Iran mm-hmm. hooked up with. Uh, Sheik Adnan Al Casey, who was then being billed as Sheik Adnan, and they, boy, I'll tell you what, they pulled a coup, and it was genius promoting. I'll use this word and give credit where credit is due. Vince McMahon Jr., he hooked up the Iron Sheik with Sheik Adnan as the manager, and this was around 1990, 91, right in that range, and this was when the Gulf War was going on. And, you know, America was uh, sending troops over to uh, Iraq and, and 
just a lot of turmoil, which is always sad when we have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. So, yes, uh, the heat was hot, and uh, they did something even more genius. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter, who had been America's hero, he was G.I. Joe, and he, he paraded around and was defending America, and all of a sudden... Sheikh Adnan was able to corrupt him and get him to turn against America and join Khosrow Vasiri and Sheikh Adnan as the manager. And that, and I said that was genius promoting because what Vince was doing at the time was what promoters did all through the ages. They played on the, on the emotions of the fans. And uh, if there was an f- evil foreigner on American land threatening our our freedom and threatening to take things from us, you know, that was instant box office for professional wrestling. And it was all for all through the ages, you know, probably dating back as far as uh, the end of World War II, when, uh, and I, I, I always admired this because we had, after World War II, oh my gosh, anybody who was a Japanese wrestler or claimed to be Japanese and they were in an American ring, the fans hated them. And it was reasonable to, to understand because, you know, Japan and Pearl Harbor were in the, the minds and hearts of American people after World War II, and we had fought Japan. And so these guys coming over here and beating us up and threatening us, and, you know, it was, it was a natural thing. And the, the funny thing was... And we didn't know this at the time, Glenn, but most of the Japanese wrestlers, most of the German wrestlers after World War II, most of the Russian wrestlers after World War II, they weren't really Japanese, German, or Russian at all. No, 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 not at all. Many many times they were (laughs) Americans who, you know, would shave their head if they were a German and grow a beard and do a goose step across the ring and, and, uh, you know... And But that's what sold tickets. And you had all these veterans coming back from the war, people returning from World War II. And then we had the Korean War in, in the early 50s. And it was, again, to play on those emotions. So when guys like the Sheik come along, and again, it was, it was history. Um, when they came in and threatened our freedom, as I said, Man, the fans would flock to the arena to cheer someone. Please, end the reign of this lunatic, this madman. And you had to give guys like Adnan Casey. And, you know, his real name was uh, a lot longer, but Adnan L. Casey was technically his real name. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have to give him credit for uh, playing the gimmick at a time when uh, tensions were high in, in our country, and again, with the Gulf War and, and before that with the uh, tensions that were going on in Iraq and the United States. So it took, I think it took guts for these guys. And he was one of them that did, if you want to call it the gimmick, he did it well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was some of my earliest pro wrestling memories of, of, of watching him in the AWA uh, right around when he made his... Uh, his entrance into into the company, into the territory. Uh, I mean, this guy, 
has such a story career. I mean, we we can go all the way back to uh, his upbringing in, in Baghdad, Iraq. I mean, this guy was such a, an, an athlete's athlete. I mean, he was involved with football, amateur wrestling in Iraq. Uh, this was a guy that ended up finding his way to Oklahoma State University. But the upbringing in Iraq is fascinating, and he documents it in, in his uh, his memoir, his his autobiography, um, the Sheikh of Baghdad, an Iraqi um, celebrity athlete's uh, pro wrestling adventures. It was a very cool book. But his connection with Saddam Hussein, he he covers in that book uh, about his life in Iraq and uh, how. You know, just how they cross paths uh, way back in the day. This wasn't like just something in their 30s. This was back in the school days, which I found so fascinating. Yeah, exactly right. And you're uh, you are correct. That is a good book. And uh, I was surprised when I looked at it today. I have a copy. And when I looked at it today, I thought, I can't believe it was 2005 when it came out. So that tells you how fast time goes. Oh, no kidding. Well, I mean, we're talking 18 years. And if it's out there, uh, I would encourage anyone, if it's out there at Amazon or you can order it from your bookstore or, you know, maybe you find it at a a cheapo books, half price books, whatever. Uh, The Sheik of Baghdad, I I definitely, by Ross Bernstein, uh, uh, Ross Bernstein, and I would encourage you uh, to pick it up because it is an intriguing and fascinating story. And he's very open in it. And from what I could pick up on it, uh, as I read through it back in the day, uh, he was fairly honest and open about, you know, his background, his life, his hardships, the good, the bad. And as all of us, you know, he didn't have life always easy. No. So a very intriguing story. Oh, most, I would, oh go ahead. Oh, most definitely. And uh, to, to let you go back in and, and talk about, it, I mean, this story, I mean, it, I mean, this was a guy who ended up in the United States on, on scholarship. Could you imagine that being able to leave Iraq at that young of age to be able to be accepted uh, athletically here in the U.S. And, and, and of all places, Oklahoma State University, of course. Uh, originally, uh, he had a scholarship to play football, American football, not soccer, at the University of Houston. So this was a guy that had some major athletic talent. And to be able to you know, leave his country like that, that wasn't an easy thing to do. This wasn't just boom, boom, you know. This was some. This was a process, and boy, what a culture shock it must have been for him to cut, land in Oklahoma. I would, I would agree with you 100%. And, you know, it's interesting when you say Oklahoma and then into Texas. Um, he did something rather unique. Uh, while in Oklahoma, he met some people that might surprisingly, uh, people wouldn't under, you know, realize it, but they became good friends guys like Danny Hodge, and he met a guy named Nick Bockwinkle uh, at Oklahoma. And, you know, when he went to Texas in the early, the very late 50s, very early 60s, uh, he was a big star, a main event star in Houston, and he uh, wrestled as Adnan Casey. He wasn't a chic, he wasn't a bad guy, he was a good guy back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had some tag team matches down there. He had some top flight matches, main events. But then he did something that, uh, you know, back in that kayfabe era, we've talked about this, Glenn. We live in an Internet world today where nanoseconds, we know what's going on across the street, across the country, across on the moon, you name it. We know it. It's being reported instantaneously. And in my era, and in some of yours, um, 
we didn't know what was going on in the next city, even in our own, uh, in our own states. It was, it was just a smaller world. And so when there were things going on in wrestling in those days, the promoters had a carte blanche liberty of being able to tell their fans anything they wanted. They could watch the television in their town. They all, hey, we only had three or four channels in those days. We didn't have cable and mm-hmm. 7,000 channels to choose from. You know that. Oh, yeah. I mean, the options were limited. I mean, so when we had something on that TV from our limited options, it was nice to have stuff like wrestling. Yeah. And so wrestling was so good because the promoters could come out and they could tell you that someone was hurt and they weren't going to be here anymore, or they could tell you that someone, you know, whatever they wanted to tell you, some background. We had no way at that point in time to check it out or to even doubt that they were telling us wasn't true. Well, Adnan Casey, after a short time wrestling here in America, um, he just sort of nonchalantly, you know, nobody heard from him again for a while. Uh, what, you know, it, you didn't even ask what happened to him because new wrestlers grant, you know, garnered your attention and caught your attention. And so all of a sudden, in, one of, in what I think is one of the greatest uh, gimmick transfer, uh, transformations, here comes a, an, a Native American by the name of Billy White Wolf. <laughs> Isn't that something? Because, I mean, you talk about, in, I mean, we look at Hollywood, you know, a lot of in, you know the native characters were played by Italians, but this had to have been a a rare exception with with a man from Baghdad converting now into this Native American character. Well, and one of the things that was I guess unique about pro wrestling, for the most part, um, over the decades, we had uh, Indian wrestlers, and you know today we call it they're referred to as Native Americans. It's politically correct, and you know they're probably getting more respect than they got back in those days and they certainly deserve it but indian wrestlers for some reason were always at least from my memory popular they were the baby faces they were the good guys you know i grew up with names like don eagle and billy red cloud and wahoo mcdaniel and there were others jay strongbow came later and you just brought up an italian well jay strongbow (laughs) wasn't really an indian he was an Italian named Joe Scarpa who had wrestled for, boy, a good close to 15, maybe 20 years. And he was a main event guy as Joe Scarpa. Very popular around the South and held titles. And all of a sudden, he's gone. And he pops up in the, uh, at the time it was the WWWF in the 1970-71 time frame. And there's this Indian star, Chief J. Strongbow. So... When Billy White Wolf shows up wrestling in Texas, he was way over in uh, on main eventing in the Pacific Northwest Territory, uh, held many titles, and he came across guys in the Pacific Northwest that really uh, became good friends and longtime adversaries and or apo- uh, foes uh, or end partners in guys like Maurice Vachon. Nick Bockwinkel, and many others. Uh, the Destroyer, Dick Beyer. So he uh, forged out this babyface career. 
And the new, you know, the newsstand magazines on the East Coast, the big ones, they would have stories on Billy White Wolf. Never ever associated him as being with um, being Adnan. It's just like that. His character changes, and it's all. But I mean, you mentioned uh, some names uh, that had, you know, that he earned respect of. Uh, talk about just getting into the business. I mean, he, he mentioned. Uh, some of this talent I was going to you didn't mention uh, and I was going to bring it up was uh, promoter Leroy McGurk when we think about Oklahoma we think about Leroy McGurk and in a great article an obituary put out by Slam Wrestling Greg Oliver did a great job on this it talks about those days and getting another getting the rub from another legend like Lou Fez I mean there was a lot of respect here for Adnan for a guy who had relatively only been in the country for a few years and really just was a collegiate superstar but just that respect thing I mean having all these people notice him and to be able now to convert from being Adnan to being this uh, really white wolf character Things are moving pretty in the right direction for him as far as like finding his way from amateur to the pro ranks. Well, and I think you just touched on it. You know, one of the things about pro wrestling is that if you earn the, the respect of your peers, and in this case, Lou Fez, you know, touting the uh, acclaim to Adnan Casey, you earned the respect of your peers. You made it in the business. That was the big the uh, the respect thing was so important because if your fellow wrestlers liked you, if they enjoyed working with you or against you, um, that was box office as well because the matches were always better. Now was Billy White Wolf. He was starting to move around because uh, there's he had stops all over in the territories, but he made it out to to Hawaii. And in the article, I, I, I hear I saw a thing about Ed Francis talking about, he said that he and L. Casey would go to a prison for wrestling classes. How's that for tight? They go and t- we're teaching these, these convicts uh, wrestling, which I found to be so interesting and to be a part of that, you know, Ed Francis's Hawaiian promotion. There's another, another uh, stop on the way as he's carving this niche that it led him even out to, to work with Barnett in Australia too. Yes. Yes. And, you know, working in, uh, in uh, Hawaii with Ed Francis and, you know, Billy White Wolf being the amateur that he was, or Adnan Casey, being the amateur that he was and being able to teach others um, when he becomes this hated sheik later on, you, you almost you, it's hard for the average fan or sometimes they didn't even know that there was the transformation, of course, but it's hard for them to realize that this guy is really a wrestler. He's not some uh, maniac. Mm-hmm. So anyway, you know, he passes away, and we we reflect, we um, we think about what he gave us. And I look at the AWA, and he came on the scene in 1981. Came in as the Sheik. Uh, at first, he was announced as the Sheik, and there was no Adnan Al Casey behind it, which was a little strange because um, naturally, when you say the Sheik, we think of Ed Farhat from Detroit, mm-hmm. who was. Uh, a true Arabian sheik, you know, and it turned out it wasn't him. It was Adnan Casey. And he really got the fans in, in uh, AWA territory frustrated, irritated. They hated him. He was boasting about Iraq. 
boasting about harems, boasting about money, boasting about taking titles away and never coming back to the country. And he was beating up on all the local, you know, good guys. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, you talk about headliner. It happened right away with, he got into a program with, uh, Tito Santana, who was very popular and they had a, a long run together. Yeah. And the sheep just, he earned he earned his keep, and I think Vern really, really went off with him on a good uh, good note. Yeah, and, and the stuff that he did with Nick Bockwinkel as well. I mean, this was, uh, you know, not, not something that happened as often. Uh, was the, the heel champion taking on this new heel to the territory, but actually having, you know, Bach and, and he and starting to get a, a little a little bit more of the, the cheers here uh, during that run, which was must have been quite interesting because Adnan coming in, of course, hot off the tensions between the U.S. and the Middle East was really, really uh, instant heat. Well, you know, I've talked about this with other with other people over the years and and uh, even with Adnan's passing. One of the genius things that took place was, again, we're at the, the top of the Iraqi situation, and Vern Gagne had retired from wrestling as champion. And he claimed he was the first wrestler to ever do that. Well, what they did was, and it was unpopular, Glenn, at the time, yeah. he had uh, decided that he retired, and the title, according to Stanley Blackburn, was given back to Nick Bockwinkle, mm-hmm. who had been the number one challenger and the former champion. That was not popular with the fans. And in the day, a lot of people, you know, they said, well, we should have had a tournament and there should have been elimination matches. Stanley Blackburn defended that by saying, hey, we got uh, promoters that have cards set up, championship matches that, you know, were on the docket. And we need a champion. So Nick is the champion because of his status as former champ. Mm-hmm. Not popular. No. Well, Vern did the genius thing. He put Nick in a feud against Sheik Adnan Al Casey. Now, I was there. The, the feud ran around the AWA. Um, normally, when they had a program between two wrestlers, Typically around each town, they'd have three, maybe four, sometimes five matches over the course of the ensuing six to eight, 10, 12 months and keep that program going. So this was the case with Nick and Sheik. But the initial having Nick battle Sheik with the Sheik screaming and yelling that he's going to take the title to Iraq and the promoters will have to pay heavy to get him to defend it and, you know, Again, anti-America. The fans actually took the side of Nick Bockwinkel, who is, in his own right, was the heel personified. And having Bobby Heenan in his corner, that even added to Nick's uh, unpopularity. Mm -hmm. So there were matches where the promoter took Heenan out of the equation by having the Sheik attack him before the matches even started. And, and Heenan is carried out. We had one in Minneapolis where uh, the Sheik hit Heenan with his sword across the forehead. Heenan, you know, he was a good bleeder anyway. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> and he he's carried out. Well, now the fans are behind Nick to take on the Sheik and keep the title here. That's that's great promoting. And those matches, we had four of them in the Twin Cities, and all four of them. Man, I'll tell you what, I would have I would have seen them all again over and over. They were so good. Now I will point out that when the feud was ready to be done. And the fans had accepted now that Nick was champion, for the most part, Glenn. Many of them even forgot how he got the title by that point, that he had had it given to him. Sure. Now he's going to have to go back to being a heel. So, again, the promoters did something unique. They put Baron Von Raschke in their final match, where he was the special guest referee that was going to finally keep law and order in this thing. And Baron had just come back to the AWA shortly before at the request of Mad Dog. And they were good guys now. They were getting <laughs> cheers because they were going against the Sheik and Jerry Blackwell. And that was a instant feud. Mm-hmm. So putting Baron in there, uh, the Sheik wasn't happy. You got to remember, Nick was still a heel technically. He didn't want Baron. And, and this is all storyline now. Well, Baron eventually gets attacked by the Sheik, and the match is disqualified. Nick wins the match, and now the Sheik wants revenge on Baron. So there's a new feud to start, and Nick goes around and starts defending the title to other challengers. And he's back to being a heel. Mm -hmm. And that was great the way they promoted that whole thing because the fans forgot that Nick was champ because it was given to him, and he defended America, but now... He can go back to being a heel. He's back. And the Sheik goes on doing exactly what he did best. He's going to destroy anybody that gets in his path. And you know what the funny thing is? That it wasn't that really all that long after that Bobby Heenan and the Sheik did business. And one of the most memorable uh, segments was when Adnan had bought the services of, of Ken Patera to team with uh, stablemate Jerry Blackwell and they formed a one hell of a tag team. But just how fun the uh, how fun that was that the worm turned and Bobby Bobby went with the money and that was a very funny uh, entertaining segment when I watch it and still find it on YouTube today. And you know what's cool about that is again I think promoters always relied on fans to have short attention spans or not remember what they saw it, you know, two months ago or six months ago. Yeah. And so you, you did. You had that confrontation briefly in 81 between the Sheik and Bobby Heenan in the Nick Bockwinkle matches. But now, just a short time later, probably a year or so, you got that segment where the Sheik wants to buy, and this is great, wants to buy Ken <laughs> Patera from Bobby Heenan. And if fans go out there on YouTube, they have there's a video clip where there's two suitcases, each allegedly holding $250,000. And the Sheik is saying he'll give Bobby Heenan two hundred and fifty dollars for Ken Patera. And he will also give Ken Patera two hundred and fifty dollars for coming to work for the Sheik. Now, again, playing on those... Boy, I'll tell you what, American emotions. Yeah. Even though Ken Patera was a heel at the time, he was an American Olympic star. And and fans could accept that 
and they could look at him as being a bad guy in the ring, but he, he was legit. And, you know, for that, he had his respect. But now he's turning his back on America and going with the Sheik. Beautiful. Oh. And the Sheik now has Patera with Jerry Blackwell. We know that they went on to win the tag team title from uh, the High Flyers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Greg and Jim, and the thing with that, with the angle with that was, when they won the titles, they were always, they were always trying to in the interviews after, were talking about how they wanted to go back to Iraq to take a big, well earned vacation and go spend some time in the sun, but they they couldn't quite get out of uh, get out of Minneapolis. Well, there was always those stories, you know. Greg Gagne, we could hear him out on his interview saying we got to prevent him from taking the titles back to Baghdad, Iraq. We'll never be able another title shot. And, you know, again, back in those days, that was still, believe it or not, pre-internet days and even pre-cable for the most part. Mm-hmm. So fans believed it. And, and the Sheik, what a character. <laughs> I mean, we know then that he also hooked up with Bruiser Brody, and he was King Kong Brody yeah. in the AWA. Um. I will just point out that that was out of respect from Vern to Dick the Bruiser, who he wouldn't have another bruiser in the territory, and that was, that was fact. So he became King Kong. Yeah. But what he was an assassin, the King Kong Brody was. And how many times do we remember him out there prancing around the Sheik and saying, I work for the Sheik, and he wanted, you know, he'd take on anybody. And we had the Jerry Blackwell, oh boy. That's one of my favorites. When the Sheik finally turned against Jerry Blackwell in June of 84. Um, I don't know if you were around to see that. Oh, oh, It was a battle royal. Oh, I was, George. But I remember watching this with my grandpa. It was such a big moment. I think it's one of the biggest moments in AWA history. And ironically, it was kind of like the the calm before the storm because Vince McMahon was now starting his invasion and things were going, you know, getting kind of tension in all the territories Mm -hmm. with wrestlers leaving territories and going to Vince. But with the Jerry Blackwell thing, the Sheik had acquired Abdullah the Butcher and King Kong Brody, and he had Jerry Blackwell. Now, we will just add that Ken Patera was out of the picture at that point. Um, he had had some personal issues that, let's just leave it at that, that he had exactly. to attend to. And uh, he wasn't in the scene anymore. But Jerry Blackwell in a battle royal, uh, he ended up actually eliminating uh, both Brody and Abdullah and being the winner. And that's when the Sheik, and during the course of the match, there was a few shoving matches between Brody and Abdullah. But you could tell something was going to happen. But boy, I'll tell you what, when Jerry won, he was attacked by the Sheik, he was attacked by Brody, he was attacked by Abdullah, and for a solid 20 minutes, uh, they beat on Jerry Blackwell like one of the greatest beatdowns I have ever seen in all the years I watched, followed wrestling. Uh And to uh, Blackwell's rescue came Dusty Rhodes, who was on the card that night, the fabulous ones, and Kurt Hennig. They all came to Jerry's rescue, but the beatdown continued. And the 20,000-plus strong in the St. Paul Civic Center screaming, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. And he was our new babyface. And then he had battles with Brody 
and uh, matches with the Sheik. <laughs> Just great the way they pulled it off. Mm-hmm. And, and and the way you know that feud with Adnan and and and, um, and Jerry too. Just some of the, we, we had a laugh about uh, one of the, the sayings. It's one of the things that Adnan said uh, in reference to Jerry and his, uh, let's just say his portly figure. Well, he, I could hear him doing it a number of times. He'd have that sword out and he'd be <laughs> taking the sword in and out of its case. And he goes, Jerry Blackwell, you big fat slob. <laughs> <laughs> and I know I don't do I don't do Adnan any justice with that voice, but or that imitation, but it was like that. Uh, it was classic, and Jerry was really over. I mean, and, and again, when you have a guy like Jerry Blackwell, who probably was a legit four hundred and fifty pounds, if you looked at him, he didn't look like a wrestler. That's no. for sure. Uh, you know, he he was he was short, round. He was big. But of all of the big wrestlers that I saw through the decades, and I mean big wrestlers that were 400 pounds or better, there were none, absolutely none ever then, up to then, until still today, as far as I'm concerned, than Jerry Blackwell. Oh, I, I, I concur, man. I concur. And I could still remember in, that, in the dressing room when they had Jerry was laid out and they're trying to get a word with him, yes. with Ken Resnick. Yes. That, was, that was powerful, man. Yeah. I mean, he was laying there all bloody beaten. And again, that was one of the best angles I'd ever seen to turn someone into a face. Because logically, if you think back, there were there was no one on the AWA scene that was more hated than Jerry Blackwell. Uh, oh. You know, he was so hated that Mad Dog and Baron became baby faces because of him. So, just he had the powerful thing to get the fans to hate him and then to turn him. That again is genius promoting. And another big big moment too was uh, the tag team match at uh, the the Super Sunday event back in April '83, where uh, Adnan teamed up, Sheik teamed up with uh, Blackwell in a match against Vern Gagne and Mad Dog Vashon. And there's another one that people want to go check out online. That would be one to see as well because that was Vern and the Mad Dog. It's just like two of the the biggest opposites who find the common cause. Jerry Blackwell and Sheik Adon L. Casey and their just the, the the havoc that they were wreaking at the time. I mean, having those two legends uh, fight against uh, Jerry and, and and Sheik was again another big moment for the AWA. Well, you know what? That gives let's give kudos to the AWA here on doing this because one of the things that they did well throughout their three decades in business, Glenn, is they always carried through on their feuds. They always, you know, many times they would reference how something came about because of something that happened a year ago or two years ago. So if you back the clock up a little bit with Vern and Mad Dog, from 1964 to 1978, in AWA main events, there was not a bigger rivalry than the Dog versus Vern, other than maybe Dog versus Crusher. That would be up there, too. But Vern and, and Mad Dog literally were polar opposites. You know, Vern was scientific. He was an amateur, you know, touted as being the great amateur from Minnesota, Olympic champion and great scientific wrestler champion. And then here comes the dog, growling, snarling, biting, kicking, gouging his way to matches and, and taking down Vern Gagne. And he even had the title. 
for a while, the, the world title. Mm-hmm. So they were natural enemy. You come to about 1978, Vern Gagne, he needs a partner because Ray Stevens and Pat Patterson had beaten up Billy Robinson and put him out of action. Uh, we will point out that Billy just left the territory for a while and went down south and wrestled. But he's injured, and Vern is upset, and he needs to find somebody. He comes out on TV and he says, I need to find somebody that can fight like Stevens and Patterson. I, otherwise, I can't beat these guys. Okay? Well, he surprises everyone when he says, I got Mad Dog Vachon. <laughs> Mad Dog and him... Mad Dog had had issues with Ray Stevens before this happened. So you got a natural hatred there. Yeah. And as you said, you got two enemies who have a common cause. They hate each other, but they hate their opponent more. And they'll join forces. That is great promoting. And you always had that fan aspect of, can Ganya trust Mad Dog? Come on. He's going to turn on him in the match. And, you know, it, it just leaves that tension and, and builds that that uh, interest in the match. So now we go back forward to what you just alluded to with Sheik teaming with Blackwell against Mad Dog and Vern. Vern's in retirement. Two years at this point. He left in 81. And the dog is having his issues. <laughs> so what does he do? He comes out and he says, I want Vern Gagne to come out of retirement and be my partner. Vern wasn't going to do it. He says, I'm retired. Vern says, he's knocking on my door. He's sending me telegrams. The dog, you know, I'm retired. Finally, he comes out and says, all right, I'm going to agree. I owe Mad Dog a favor because he was my partner when I asked him. So I will come into this match. And then the usual, when we're done, you go your way. I'll go my way. And the match with Vern out of retirement with the dog drew a huge house at the St. Paul Civic Center and in some of the other cities as well. Mm-hmm. Great promoting. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, as, you know, the whole WW, the whole, this, the promotional shakeup of the territories in the 80s and, of course, with McMahon and the WWF, uh, Sheik Adnanel Casey uh, still met, was still very much a part of the company, of, of Vern's company, uh, he did some managing, I can remember, uh, with the Sheik's Army, of course, uh, with Boris Zukov and Nord the Barbarian. And even for a while, uh, the Mongolian Stomper was in for a cup of coffee or two. And I can remember yeah. briefly uh, the infamous bl- Blaster. So Sheik... <laughs> There's a coffee break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not even... Uh, a, that's a sip. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, the Sheik remained a force. And, you know, towards the end of the AWA, when we were starting to see the decline of the company and wrestling, the landscape all over the country had changed. Uh, the Sheik was managing uh, uh, Boris, well, he was Nik- uh, Nik- uh, let's see, Nikolai Volkov at the time. He had previously been here a decade earlier as Boris Brezhnikov. But he was uh, Nikolai Volkov, and he teamed him with Chris Markov, who was really at the end of his career, so to speak. But he all of a sudden was no longer from Yugoslavia. Uh, he was now a Russian. <laughs> and uh, Chris Markov and Volkov were a team. They got managed by Lord Alfred Hayes for a while, and they were aligned with the Sheik. So he kept it up until uh, that 
what we alluded to at the beginning of the show, where he ended up in, Adnan ended up in the WWF, which it still was at the time. It's WWE today. Mm-hmm. And uh, became Sheik, or General Adnan, General Adnan. And had Cosro and Sergeant Slaughter. Oh, boy. You know, that was an emotional time. And again, I give Vince McMahon credit for that one. Um, I don't think today, and now I think we really need to flash forward to 2023. You know, Glenn, I don't think we can actually play those foreign trump cards anymore. I don't see it done as often if it is at all. And I think it's probably better because of the way our climate is today. But it certainly worked in its day to make pro wrestling king at the box office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, again, in this times of just social media and snapback arguments and stuff, yeah, it's probably just for the better. That did have its place. It did it in, in time. And boy, was it fun just to watch. I mean, it's, even as me growing up in the 80s, watching those angles, I really did enjoy uh, that that stuff. And, you know, the Sheik, he uh, eventually, eventually found his way to retirement. But I do remember him working some some independence whether it was down with uh, Eddie Sharkey uh, or even up with Tony even up with Tony Candelo and he didn't he even got into the promoting end himself uh, for for a spell with his uh former charge the man that he uh he had bought Ken Patera so I mean, yeah. let's talk a little bit about Sheik stuff after he left the WWF as he kind of winded down and found his way towards retirement and you know making those appearances and still you know Still staying in Minnesota, which I thought was very cool. Well, he did. I know he lived some in Hawaii at different times, but he did have the roots in Minnesota, and he stayed here. Um, it was as late as 2019, the year before COVID, that uh, I had the opportunity at an independent card here in Minnesota to uh, the Sheik and some other former AWA wrestlers like uh, Wayne Bloom, Mike Enos, the, the Destruction Crew, uh, Pat Tanaka was one of them, and Sheik was one of them that were at this indie card. And they were doing what we call the gimmick tables. They were selling photos and talking to the fans. And uh, I had the opportunity, and in hindsight now, I, I look at it and I say, you know, this was another just fun thing. Um, I was there with my Minnesota book selling the book, and I happened to have the table right next to Sheik. And uh, we sat there. The card went on, and we chatted. Nothing about personal stuff. We chatted about some of the places he'd wrestled in and about that he was Adnan Casey and he'd been to Oklahoma and stuff like that that we've covered. But Sheik enjoyed talking about it. And he was as calm and quiet. I mean, you know how he would get on the interviews. And he's just a very uh, low-key man, very quiet. I had the opportunity to get a picture with him, and, and uh, you know, it was the, well, good luck to you and we'll see you down the road. And unfortunately that was the last time I did see you. Mm-hmm. Because I, you know, in the, in, you know, up leading up to his death, um, to him just maybe a few years ago before COVID era kind of wiped out a lot of stuff. Uh, Adnan was, was doing the convention circuit as, as well and yeah. meeting up whether, you know, with, with, with Sergeant Slaughter, you know, getting together and wearing his general Adnan garb. There's pictures of him with that at these, these conventions. So, you know, it was a kind of a cool way to get himself out there and stuff, but you know, 
Adnan was outside of the ring. Adnan was a family man as well, and uh, family was very central. And like I mentioned, he, we talked about him and being uh, a resident of our state, you know. So he was married to his wife for quite some time. They had children. They had encountered the good and the bad and some tragedy. But at the core of it, though, Adnan very much had priority for his family. I think he always did, and it was important to him. And, you know, when you see this guy after, let's just say, after his wrestling career, one of the other great things that I saw him do was he appeared at Kenny J's uh, annual histiocytosis fundraisers that Kenny was doing. I think he did 15 years or so in a row, and the Sheik had appeared at a couple of those. And to be there and schmoozing with the fans and getting pictures and, you know, I guess he got his, I want to say he got his dues after the business because he realized, and I know he did, he realized how much the fans, they hated him, but they loved him because (laughs) once we learned that that kayfabe was gone, you know, now we got this guy who, what a character he played and how good was he at it. That was the beauty of the business, that you really respected these guys because now you understood how good they were. And you know what? If it wasn't for the Sheik, I probably wouldn't have seen belly dancing as a young kid during one of those segments. <laughs> With his harem. Yes, yes, yes. A, fun, a funny story. Uh, when I was going, I went to an AWA. It was towards the end of the AWA's run here. Uh, it was the post-Super Clash. It was right before Greg uh, retired. Uh, it was in Thief River Falls. They had an event, and of course... It was a card subject to change, and talking about subject to change, it was about 70% of the card, but that's okay. I wanted to see wrestling. That was fine with me. Greg Gagne in the main event took on the Sheik, and this guy came in with a big big guy with a mask on was his second, but as they were waiting to go into the arena to go walk in, somebody went over, it was a bunch of us kids, this one guy comes over, he goes, hey, guy, hey, kid, there's a camel out there. You want to go take a look? And the kid poked in, opened the door, and just Sheik met him with a big, come on, ah, ah, you know, just yelling and stuff. The kid got all, like, just worked up. He kind of ran away. It was the funniest thing. It was like, there's a camel out there. Where? Then the Sheik basically gave him the riot act. That's classic. That's classic. And you know what I like, Glenn, is that, you know, when, when obviously we've lost so many wrestlers over the past 20 years, A lot of them have been young ones, but all of our legends from the 50s and 60s and many of the 70s and early 80s are now gone. Um, When the the ones that remain here, when they speak highly of the wrestler that passed. Now, this was a simple statement, but yesterday after I had gotten the news, as you mentioned it to me and I'd heard it from Ken Resnick and, and kind of followed up on it, I sent Greg Gagne a text. And I told him, I said, just got word that Sheik Adnan passed at age 84. And Greg came back and he said, I just heard that news. He was a good guy. And he said, I'm on the way to Yellowstone or something. So I left it at that. I think he was traveling. Mm -hmm. But Greg Gagne, he was a good guy. That, that's you know, a, and that was the guy that wasn't going to take the title from the High Flyers because he was going to go to Iraq <laughs> with it. See, and but Greg respected him. Sure. And uh, it's it, it's just sad, as we always say. You know, we lose these guys, and we remember how much joy, how much entertainment they brought us, 
and they gave of themselves. We all know how, you know, wrestling's not real, but the injuries, the body uh, pains and aches and things that they incur- they endured and incurred afterwards, um, man, I'll tell you what, I, I just have the utmost respect. And so my personal prayers and sympathy go out to uh, Adnan's daughter, Cassidy. I do not know her personally. She's on my Facebook page, but uh, I, I just send my condolences to her and the family, and I really, really, if I just could say thank you, Sheik Adnan, for uh, being part of my life and the entertainment that I've endured because you were and you will always be one of the best. I think I, that's the way I have to leave it. That's that's an excellent way to leave it up. And man, yeah, I, I, I echo a lot of that. And I say thank you to, to Sheik Adnan L. Casey for being some part of some of my earliest pro wrestling memories. I, it was, you were one of those guys I just loved to hate, but I think I loved you more than I ever did hate you. So thank you for the memories. And I hope that you're, you're talking to another friend of ours that passed away not all that long ago, a man who loved you to death, Thunderblood, Charlie Norris. Oh, boy, there you go. Yes, by all means. Well, thank you so much, uh, George Shire. It's uh, very nice to chat with you. Uh, we got to do this uh, sometime under a, a sunnier time because we're always looking back and remembering and giving the flowers to those that leave us. But I think we need to get together and just get in a good power of positivity. It doesn't have to be a memorial. It just could be fun chatting about wrestling. Well, the way I look at it is, yeah, it was a little bit of a memorial or a look back or sharing some stories. But the bottom line is, in my world, as long as they bring a smile to my face, they're always here, and they will always be here. And that's good. So yeah. thank you for, very much for having me uh, back on Rasslin' Memories. Man, Ab- good good stuff. Absolutely. And kids, look up Sheik Adnan Al Casey. Look up AWA 1980s. Look at some very fun wrestling. Don't just dismiss it as old old and too old for you. This is stuff that lasts and will last the test of time. For George Shire, I'm Glenn Broggett. This has been Wrestling Memories. Thank you, George.